0: You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. The 19th century English writer Edward Bulwer-Lytton is said to have coined the phrase, the pen is mightier than the sword, but he's best remembered for the first line of his 1830 novel called Paul Clifford. And that single long sentence, with the help of a semicolon, a dash in parentheses, reads, it was a dark and stormy night. The rain fell in torrents, except at occasional intervals, when it was checked by a violent gust of wind which swept up the streets, for it is in London that our scene lies, rattling along the housetops and fiercely agitating the scanty flame of the lamps that struggled against the darkness.
1: I actually like that! Yeah, it needs some editing, but <laughs> I think that's the problem. I, I think uh, I didn't pass through enough eyes before yeah, I reached the page. But. but I
0: think I still want to read the rest of that. It's, it's pretty interesting. But as it happens, that sentence inspired the annual Bulwer-Lytton contest, which, as you know, Grant started at San Jose State in 1982, And this is where contestants try to write these extravagantly awful and clever first sentences that reflect that kind of florid language and the rapid points of view and that kind of thing. Well, the latest winners were just announced, and I wasn't crazy about a lot of them, but I really like this runner-up. It's from Mark Meaches in Dallas, and he writes... Irony, bombasted Inspector Simons, is when someone believes themselves more clever than anyone else in the room, but they are in fact careless and foolish. And the murderer, Matilda Danner. Yes, Matilda, you killed. Wait, where's Matilda? <laughs>
1: <laughs> she did. (laughs) I want
0: to read the rest of that
1: (laughs) That's good, yeah
0: We'll share a little bit more later in the show But for now, we want to talk with you about any aspect of language whatsoever So give us a call, 877-929-9673 Or send your questions and comments about language to words at waywardradio.org
1: And if you know of a particularly bombastic passage of writing that we should know about too By all means, send it (laughs) away Long
0: <laughs> or write one. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, you have a way with words.
2: Hey, this is Damien from New York City.
1: Hi, Damien. Welcome to the show. Hello, Damien. What's up?
2: Hello. So, um, I have a word that my grandmother used to use all the time, and um, I've never heard anybody else use it. And I was wondering if you could tell me where it comes from and what it means. It's kind of gross, it's, uh, it's a word for the stuff that accumulates in your eyes when you wake up from a nap or wake up in the morning. You know, some people call it like sand or eye boogers, Mm
3: -hmm. but
2: she would call it cheapas. Cheapas. Yes.
3: Cheapas. Cheapas.
2: And she was Hungarian, and she lived in northeastern Pennsylvania. So those may be some clues that
1: lead us to what it means. I
0: believe that's a gigantic clue.
1: (laughs) That's actually the answer. (laughs) Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Yes,
0: yes. She was just speaking Hungarian to you because... Uh, really? The, yes, the word in Hungarian is cipa, and you, you might have tried to look for it, but it's a little bit hard to find because the spelling is C-S-I-P-A, cipa.
2: Oh, wow. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought to spell cipa, C-S-I-P-A.
0: Yeah.
2: Those (laughs) Hungarians.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So she would tell you to wipe the cheapas out of your eye or something,
2: or cheap. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you've got some cheapas in your eye.
1: Yeah, in Hungarian you might say "cheapasashamed," which means you have gummy eyes or you have sleep in your eyes. It's because cheapa means kind of gum or gooiness.
2: Oh wow! Okay, well, yeah. all has been revealed. That's wonderful. Thank you.
1: Yeah, there's apparently a bunch of words in Hungarian for it, like nyálka, slime. Believe it or not, spelled S L E J M, akony, turha.
0: But I like chipa. I think it's adorable. <laughs> it's it's. I don't know the sound of it and just.
1: Yeah, it's, I like it too. Oh. I, I just imagine little birds like putting grains of sand on my eye in the night. Yeah. <laughs> little like elf birds, you know, yeah. preparing shoes and putting sand there. <laughs>
0: And I don't think anybody knows where chippa comes from, but it is very similar to the Turkish word for this, which is chapak. Um, so some people think it might come from, you know, might have been borrowed into Hungarian from Turkish.
1: Interesting.
2: Well, do the Hungarians have a, a "chipa" man like we have the Sandman?
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, but the Germans do. Oh, wow. They don't have a cheap right. man, but they have no. A different... they, yeah, they have a sandman. They also have a sandman. The Germans call it Augenbutter, meaning eye butter, mm-hmm. and uh, a phrase that translates as sand seeds. Uh, so many different words for this. I'm a hard
2: no on eye butter. <laughs> eye butter, yeah.
1: <laughs> the French, uh, even worse, they call it chassis, which ultimately, through a long winding path, comes from the Latin word for poop. <laughs> <laughs> I poop. I poop. Okay. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Aren't you glad you started us down this long, winding now, path? Now,
1: the Portuguese word, <laughs> "remela" may compare it. The eye goobers to honey, which I think is very nice.
0: Oh, like like Mel, yeah.
1: Yeah, Mel, could be Mel, yeah, Mel, exactly. Yeah.
2: Around the world in thirty names for <laughs> eye
1: butter. <laughs> oh, I could keep you here for an hour, my friend. <laughs> sleepy buds, dozy dust, sleepy men, oh, sleepy yeah. wings, crusties. <laughs> Damien, why? The older Scots language, they called it rack or gar, gar with two R's or one R.
0: Well, English gowned, too. Nobody says gowned, but that's an old word for it as well.
1: Or or we can get medical and call it hardened periocular discharge. Mm.
2: I think you guys need to release, in a way with words, a sleep pajama set that has all
1: the names (laughs) for this on it. Yeah, there we go, right? The footies. (laughs) That'd be nice. And a cocoa oh. mug.
2: Yeah. Merch tie-ins.
1: <laughs> Merch tie-ins. Damien, you're a genius. I appreciate it. Yeah. And thank you so much for calling.
0: I want cheapa. Oh, thanks
2: for having me on, guys. I love the right. show.
1: Take care. Thanks. Bye-bye. I'm
0: adopting Chepa I love that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Take care.
0: I want a mug with that on it. <laughs> thanks, Damien.
1: Bye. Thank you. Well, maybe you've got a cute or clever term for the eye crust that you get at night, uh, let us know, 877-929-9673, or tell us an email, words at waywardradio.org.
0: Grant, last week I decided to go back and read George Orwell's 1984 because I was really curious whether it would frighten me as much as it did when I was in high school. And the truth is, when I reread it last week, it frightened me even more.
1: Oh, I can imagine. But I guess it was probably also a nice linguistic trip, too. This is the source, of course, the title. 1984 is often used as a dystopian reference. Big Brother Mm -hmm. comes from there. Mm -hmm. Doublespeak was popularized by that book.
0: Right. And uh, so I was thinking about those terms associated with the novel, but there was also a little... Um, expression that jumped out at me that I didn't remember at all, but I really like. And that's the expression, scrape acquaintance. He talks in the book about uh, this guy, Winston Smith, who's uh, trying in this dystopian society to get information about a possible secret uh, rebellion. And he writes about Winston Smith making plans to get information. And he says he would go into the pub And he would scrape acquaintance with that old man and question him. And I just love that idea of scraping acquaintance. I looked it up in the Oxford English Dictionary, and it talks about scraping acquaintance meaning to get acquainted with by careful effort and insinuation. So you're not really befriending somebody. You're -hmm. you're sort of getting acquainted with somebody toward an end.
1: Isn't that interesting? Oh, nice. Yeah, that is very interesting. I've never heard that either. I'll have to add that to my... My list of phrases to savor, but save and use just once in an important moment. (laughs) Scrape acquaintance. There's stuff that... There's language that you learn that you can't just drop willy-nilly, right?
0: Yeah. You've got to
1: keep it and just there's one right moment it's like the the celebration champagne that you're saving <laughs>
0: right right we'd love to hear about the words and phrases that strike you when you're reading novels 877-929-9673 or send it to us an email the address is words at org.
1: hello you have a way with words
0: hi uh this is ganyon
4: and i'm calling from newport oregon hi ganyon
1: hi ganyon welcome to the show what's up
4: Well, I have a question about the difference uh, between engine and motor.
1: Okay. You've been helping with the car, repairing engines or something?
4: Yeah, we have a whole bunch of cars and stuff, and we work on our cars all the time. Change the oil, and I just thought of it. What's the difference between that, kind of?
1: Okay. Any ideas?
4: Well, I don't know. Maybe one's, like, gasoline and one's diesel, or maybe one's, like, bigger than each other. I don't know. Okay. Or inboard or outboard engines.
1: Okay, you put some thought in this. This is good. Um, there is a difference. Let me ask you, how how old are you? What grade are you in?
4: I'm in sixth grade. I'm 12 years old.
1: Okay, so have you done any physics classes yet?
4: I've done a couple, but uh, I haven't done anything really on this. So. Okay,
1: well, let me... Let me tell you, this is a little bit of a physics answer, and it's pretty simple stuff because we're going to be talking about power and force in the physics sense, and that's really the difference between the idea of a motor and an engine. The two are, in everyday speech, used interchangeably, but there is a distinction. An engine converts or transfers power into movement, motion, or some other physical force. A motor Is a type of machine that supplies power to other devices. So a motor would supply power to an engine, if that makes sense. So, so I I know that we call the engine in a car the motor, and kind of sometimes we even call the whole car a motor. I mean, in in the the UK, that is has traditionally been the term for a car. Sometimes is a motor, but in a more specific sense, that's the difference here. Is one converts the power and one creates the power.
5: Oh, that's that's cool.
1: Yeah, the engine wow. converts it and really makes it into movement or motion, and the motor creates the power.
4: That's pretty cool. Wow, yeah, I never even thought of it that
3: way.
1: Yeah, so you can yeah. have an electric okay. motor or a gasoline motor or a yeah. diesel motor. There were, when I was growing up, I think there's still out there, little physics kits that let you work with some of this stuff where they're a little more advanced than Tinker Toys, but they let you do things like build simple machines where you can power windmills and power... Um, uh, different things. And you can work on these basic uh, physics ideas and you can really start to understand some of the concepts behind them. You might dig around and see if you can find one uh, in your budget or yeah, at a thrift well. store or something and see if that will um, help you understand the concepts a little more.
4: Yeah, that'd be
0: great. Yeah, I would love to do that.
1: Thank you. Yeah, sure. Gannon, thank you so much for your call. We really yeah. appreciate it.
0: Thanks for raising the question.
1: Stay curious, my friend. All right, I will. Thank you. <laughs> Bye-bye.
0: We welcome questions from our younger listeners. The number is 877 929 9673 or send your questions in email to words at waywardradio.org. This show is about language seen through family, history, and culture. Stay tuned for more of Away with Words. You're listening to A Way With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Martha Barnett.
1: And I'm Grant Barrett. And leaping in the doorway with papers in his hand and a grin
6: that can't be beat is our quiz guy, John Chinesky. Hi, John. Hello, Martha and Grant. You know, leaping in the doorway is the only exercise I get, so I got to do it every <laughs> single time. Now, this quiz is a bit of a variation on one we've done before, uh, Common Bonds. I'm going to read you a list of items. All of these things have been described in the titles of movies, TV shows, songs, books, uh, common vernacular, whatever, using the same adjective. You tell me the adjective. For example, if I said apple, chill, bang, bird, gulp, you might say the word big. Big, Mm -hmm. yes, of course. And if you need a deeper big apple, big bang, big chill, big gulp. Big bang, big bird, big gulp. Yes, exactly. If you need a deeper hint, I'll give you a multi-word clue that uh, something like fish in a small pond. Big fish in a small pond. Like that. Got it? Gotcha. Good. Gotcha. Okay. Here's the first one. Prince. Mermaid. Foxes. Rascals. Tramp. Little. Little. Little, yes. Just like the house on the prairie. Nicely done. Supper. Gasp. Resort. Laugh, straw, last. Mm-hmm. Last, very good. Night, that's K-N-I-G-H-T. Ah. Mile, deal, lantern, berets. Green. Green is right. Green night, green berets, green mile. Bone, money, papers, valentine. Business. Funny. Funny, yes, Martha. Nice. My my multi-word clue was thing happened on the way to the farm, but you uh, <laughs> didn't need it. So. That would have been an easy one. Yeah. Season. Window. House. Source. Mic. Open. Open. Yes. Open season. Open mic. Open source. Open window. Uh, the open window. Very scary story, by the way. Here's another. Child, city, ear, peace, sanctum, inner. Inner. <laughs> inner is correct. I think sanctum is a big giveaway on that yeah, one. Yeah, that was. <laughs> There's always one. I, would, I wouldn't have gotten it without sanctum. Yeah. And yeah. right, here's the last one. Opera, cowboy, force, needle, jam. Opera, cowboy, force, needle, jam, space. Space Mm -hmm. is correct. Yes, you got them. You got all of these, and you're fantastic. Well, These are all adjectives, and my adjective for you guys is brilliant. Nicely done. Oh, wow. But
1: you're the guy that came up with the puzzles, so you're brilliant (laughs) squared. Oh, and you're sweet. And and square. Square.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, John. Bye-bye. We'll talk
1: to you next time.
6: Take care.
0: And we'd love to talk with you, too. So call us 877-929-9673 or send your thoughts and stories and observations about language to words at waywardradio.org. Hi, you have a way with
7: words. Hi there. This is Chuck Hampton calling from Dallas, Texas.
1: Hi, Chuck. Welcome to the show.
7: Well, I'm a member of a, a van owners group called the Winnebago Soulless owners and wannabes, because it's for people both who have bought one and people who are hoping to buy one. And a conflict erupted recently when an administrator of the group changed the spelling of wannabe. It had been spelled W-A-N-N-A-B-E, with just a single E at the end, Mm -hmm. and he changed it to. Uh, Winnebago Soulless Owners and Wannabes with two E's at the end, and that ignited quite a bit of controversy. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) A lot of people felt it should be one E, and others felt it should be two E's, and I was afraid we were going to have a big split over this.
0: Oh, dear, like a Baptist church.
7: (laughs) Exactly. Was hoping to get a little clarification um about what what y'all thought might be more correct uh or even if either of them would be correct since you know i'm not sure that's really proper english but i was hoping there'd be some guidance one way or the other
1: what was the administrator's argument for spelling wannabe with two e's on the end
7: um it seems like someone had suggested to him um that it should be with two e's because there's another van owners group uh with a similar name and actually more than one and some of the others are using it with two e's ours was using it with one and so uh it was presumed that we were wrong and they were correct i personally don't have any idea i i know that uh looking at it either one neither really looks right but when uh, at least phonetically, with two e's, it's you can tell how that should be pronounced. Whereas with one e, uh, you know you might think it's one 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 Abe or, or something uh, rather than one of the. Just if you were trying to you know look at the word and guess how it should be pronounced. So I'm kind of leaning towards two e's, but I don't know. Uh, you know that i can resolve this argument without bloodshed in our group <laughs>
1: <laughs> maybe a van race <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> van rage exactly <laughs> uh, or who can who can load in and load out fastest <laughs> <laughs> um yeah this is a this is an interesting one i can see the argument about mm-hmm. adding that extra mm-hmm. e making it easier to automatically mm-hmm. know how it's mm-hmm. pronounced but I don't feel like Mm -hmm. it's that unusual of a word. There are occasions, particularly when it was new in the 1970s, where wannabe was spelled with a hyphen Mm -hmm. between the wanna and the be. And wanna is a standalone kind of contraction word for want Two has existed uh-huh. for at least a hundred years, so that's got its uh-huh. own life and story beyond its existence inside the word "wannabe." But the single "e" spelling is the mm-hmm. is by far and away, like ninety-nine to one, the most established spelling of "wannabe." Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, did not realize. Now that. you can change the spelling if you want to be different, but just doing it to go <laughs> along with these other groups. I mean. Let's face it. Is this a where is this group? Is this an online group? It it is an online group, and we have members from all over the United States. It's actually a
7: really active group, and okay. it's um, where we you know it's it's something we we learn a lot from each other about uh, all the ins and outs of our being through this group. So it's oh, been, it it's been a lifesaver for me. Yeah, mm. I bet.
1: Going along with the group for learning from mm-hmm. each other about vans mm-hmm. and RVs and stuff is one thing, mm-hmm. but the expertise mm-hmm. in the group isn't, isn't language necessarily. <laughs> I'm glad that you came to us. Yeah. Um, but, you know, what's funny about this is it, the older form of wannabe is actually would-be. Uh, talking about people as a would-be, or using would-be as an adjective, the the you know the would-be ah. sailor or the would-be soldier or the would-be actor was used oh, in pretty much the I, same way, and that we would I never see. add an extra e to because it clearly looks True. like a would-be, but that was always True. hyphenated, True. yeah, um, and I so very clearly two words with a hyphen in it.
0: Chuck, you almost okay. had me persuaded there with the. Um... With the misreading <laughs> it. I was thinking Wanabi, you know, sometimes when I look at it, and
1: then with right. Winnebago, you know, Winnebago, yeah, Wanabe, yeah,
0: like what's that?
1: Like a Japanese name or something. Exactly. Yeah. Or something yeah. yeah. but, well, but like, uh, Exactly. So I was laid in that way, but
7: since, uh, you know, he mentioned that, uh, you know, the vast majority are going with
1: uh, the single E, that's pretty persuasive. So the argument is still raging and it hasn't been settled yet? There hasn't been any discussion of it here in the last couple
7: of days, but the, uh, the admin has, has not uh, budged. He's left it uh, with the newer version where there's two E's at the end. Mm. Uh, But I'm sure when this, uh, when this, uh, conversation comes to light that it's going to reignite the Civil War. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, I mean, there is an option here just to embrace it and make a new logo for the group that has like a, a bee driving at a, you know, RVing around the country or something, right? And incorporate the right, bee right. logo.
7: Oh, we could do that. We could maybe rebrand it and avoid avoid any future altercations. Yeah, I mean, just well, take
1: so. a little bit of humor and, you know, just, just, yeah, just avoid the skirmishes.
0: Well, Chuck, keep <laughs> us posted. I want to know if our conflict resolution helped.
7: <laughs> I, I will do that. I'll let you know how it turns out. Thank you so much. Take oh, care yeah. now.
1: Appreciate Thanks, it, Chuck. Chuck. Bye bye. Okay. Happy uh-huh. trails. <laughs>
0: The Bulwer-Lytton contest, where you try to write a florid sentence, uh, has a lot of different categories. And in the Western category, I really like this entry from Ben Connor in Wilmington, Delaware. After commandeering the Black Dog Saloon for a day and a half to lay out every map, zoning ordinance, and land deed in the territory, and after checking and rechecking their cartographic calculations, Tumbleweed Mulligan and Johnny Trigger McAllister were forced to admit that there just might be room in this town for the both of them. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Got the zoning maps out, did they? Yeah. <laughs> Went down to the courthouse and paid their yeah. fee to the county clerk. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Can't you, can you see them stroking their chin? Mm, I uh-huh. you know. Yeah. There just oh, might yeah. be room.
1: <laughs> they got the calipers out. They're measuring things, spyglass, the whole bit. I <laughs> wonder if they even paid to have the land surveyed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Send us your terrible sentences, words at org.
3: Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, my name is Miles. I'm from Madison, Wisconsin. Hi,
1: Miles. Welcome to the show.
3: It was a couple weeks ago. I was just out on a drive, and I was listening to the show, and then I got back, and I was sitting on the porch. And it's not so much anymore, but the leaves were really hanging onto the trees this year. And I just had a thought. I was wondering if there was a word or a phrase for when the leaves are still on the trees and there's snow on the ground, or if there's you know, when the leaves are falling and there's snow on the ground. I know it seems Mm. a little kind of plain, but there was a couple years ago on Halloween that it snowed about six inches and there was a lot of leaves on the trees. It's just a really bizarre, bizarre sight.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's really evocative, isn't it? And I love thinking about those kind of liminal periods, you know, between seasons when you have that nice mix of... Of, uh, say, snow and, and leaves falling at the same time. It doesn't happen that often, but when it does, it, it can be kind of magical, don't you think?
3: Yeah, it definitely was. I remember we were out working on a conservation site, and it, it it's a feeling that it doesn't come often. Uh, and I think you, the term you use, liminal, is a great way to put it. I, mm-hmm. it's, it was really magical, yeah.
0: You know, the only term that I've seen specifically for that, and it's a made-up term, is that some people refer to snowliage, you know, like foliage.
3: Sure, sure.
0: That's okay. the only one I know specifically for that, and it's it's just a, you know, sort of joking made-up term.
1: Hmm. I wonder if we need a yeah, term. Yeah, yeah. we need to make something up ourselves. There are so many expressions around the world for sun showers, like mm-hmm. the donkey is getting married or the devil is chasing his wife. Maybe we exactly. could create a, a similar metaphor that's, uh, that talks about the leaves falling on the snow, like Mother Nature making the bed or something. Yeah. I believe in Japan, there, historically, the falling of certain kinds of leaves on the snow has been compared to the writing of words on white paper with a brush and ink,
6: Ooh.
1: which I think is is exactly Ooh. right.
0: Oh, yeah. I like that
1: just imagine certain huh. kinds of dark purple leaves falling on perfect white snow.
0: Yeah, I I know we have words Ooh. for really light snow, you know, just a dusting on the ground which can occur yeah. when leaves are still on the trees like like cat snow where you can oh, yeah. just there's just enough snow that you can track a cat that way. And in springtime there's onion snow which i think is just such a tasty term onion snow but but that's like that. that's that's on the other liminal end you know when yeah. it's just starting to become spring and it's and it snows after onions are planted but but that i think sure. that's really evocative too but i don't know of a specific term
1: well, Miles, we have a whole whole raft of creative listeners who uh, come from different cultures and different experiences, and have great minds that can come up with stuff. So maybe somebody knows a word or an expression for that feeling or the sensation or the moment or the idea of s- leaves falling on the snow. And if we come up with something, Absolutely. we'll share it. Okay? Yeah, I would love that. Thank you very much. Thank you for the call, Miles. Take care now. Yep. Take Bye-bye. care. Hello, you have a way with words.
4: Hi, this is Marlena from Dallas, Texas.
1: Hello, Marlena. How are you?
4: I'm good, thanks. How are you doing?
1: All right.
0: We're glad to have you. What's on your mind today?
4: Well, I was reading a book that was written in the 1930s, and I noticed one of the words that they used sounded out of context, and the sentence was, the grouch and the brainstorm are not for us. So I happen to have a dictionary written in 1934 around And I looked up the word brainstorm, and I was really surprised by the definition that I read.
0: Ooh, let's hear it.
4: Uh, So the definition is a violent, transient mental derangement manifested in a maniacal outburst.
1: (laughs) Wow. (laughs) And what what was the sentence in the book again?
4: The grouch and the
0: brainstorm are not for us.
1: They are not the grouch is definitely not for us. I don't what? know about the brainstorm.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, what did that mean? What was what was it in context? Uh, it was in context to making sure that um,
4: we're taking care of ourselves emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and not mm. sort of acting out. Um, mm-hmm. And so when I read that, you know, grouch that made sense, but brainstorm the way that I use that word today, I couldn't really understand why. That was a, a something I needed to be careful of, or, or not do, and so that's what that that's why I looked it up.
0: Yeah, that's really fascinating because today a brainstorm is something really positive, right? You you get yeah. people together and you just throw ideas and see what sticks. <laughs> I, I always love collecting those puddles after a brainstorm, you know, because because you get new ideas. It is really interesting that early on the term brainstorm really had that kind of meteorological um, phenomenon happening inside your head. It, it meant a fit of rage or, or a sudden change of mood or behavior, and you go back and you look at, uh, say, newspapers in the 1860s, and there are a lot of accounts of trials where people blame uh, some crime that they committed because of a brainstorm that they had, you know, that it was, that it was an actual mental phenomenon that uh, made them lose control um And it wasn't until the early 1920s that we started to see a change uh, in how people talked about brainstorms and in fact there was there was a collection of college slang from uh, Johns Hopkins University in uh, the early 1930s where they defined brainstorm as something different. They defined it as a sudden and usually fortunate thought. so it really has undergone a revolution And grant there was that famous trial uh, that, that uh, used that term brainstorm in a, in a whole different way.
1: Yeah, that's right. Prior to the 1920s, brainstorm and kind of the the mental uh, mental illness meaning was mostly British and not very American. But in 1906 and 1907, there was a huge scandalous trial where uh, a millionaire Harry K Thaw shot to death the famous architect Stanford White in a crowded theater in front of a thousand people for his treatment of Thaw's wife who was the beautiful actress and model Evelyn Nesbit and this was enormous uh, just you can't even imagine how huge this was one of the defense's arguments was that Harry Thaw was a victim of a brainstorm and that made him insensible to his own actions. So this, this word was bandied about, used by the defense, but mocked by the prosecution. And of course, it was in headlines and in newspapers all across the country. And I think maybe there was a kind of a reinterpretation stemming from that trial. So,
0: yeah, you've, you've really uh, uh, zeroed in on, on a really fascinating revolution. I hope you have a newer dictionary than that, that old <laughs> these days.
4: I do. I do.
1: <laughs> Marlena, thank you so much for sharing your reading with us. And anytime you come across something else worth, uh, worth a, a natter, give us a call, will you?
4: Sure will do. Thank you so much.
1: All right. Thank take you. care. Bye-bye. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. You're listening to Away With Words, this show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett.
0: And I'm Martha Barnett. If you've ever sent a really important email, but then you found yourself tearing your hair out because it had an embarrassing misspelling right there in the first line...
1: <laughs> That's me. Yep.
0: <laughs> Been there, done that. Or maybe you sent a text with a typo that changed the whole meaning of what you were trying to say... Well, cheer up. There's no need to blame yourself anymore. You can always blame Tutty Villis.
1: Tutty Villas.
0: Tuddy Villas. In medieval lore, Tutty Villas was a demon who served the devil by introducing errors into writing. And early on, Tutty Villas was a demon who rode around on sunbeams and hitched rides on raindrops, all the better, to eavesdrop on priests and other church folk and collect all their idle words and their sloppy praying or words they skipped in the liturgy. And he would hover around in the air when nuns were were in more casual conversation and scoop up their idle gossip. And then he'd stuff all these things in a big sack and collect them for Judgment Day. Wow. (laughs) I know, it's pretty scary. Can you imagine? so much trouble. (laughs) (laughs) And over time, as the centuries passed, he came to be thought of as this demon who introduced errors into medieval manuscripts, you know, that the monks were copying by hand. And eventually, printers picked up Tutty Villis as this kind of patron saint or maybe patron demon is a better term that who's responsible for all those errors in typesetting. So Grant, I think it's safe to say that Tuddy Villis lives.
1: Tuddy Villis is alive and well in the digital era and he's in my computer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so I I guess we should spell his name. Actually, it's spelled a whole lot of different ways. I don't know if these were misspellings or errors, but uh, his name has taken lots of forms. But the one that you can search for him with uh, is T-U-T-I-V-I-L-L-U-S, Tutty Villis. Tutty
1: Villus. Oh, and he's got villain right there in the name. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds kind of like Italian for all villain or complete villain.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's not, but it could be.
1: (laughs) It's not, but it could be. Well, we'd love to hear about your famous typos, the ones that you can't forget, the big mistakes that you made that you'll never live down. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. We'll link to more information about Tita and its spelling on our new website at waywardradio.org.
0: Hello, you have a way with words.
1: Hello, uh, this is Will calling from Queens. How are you guys? Queens, New York. Hello, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me.
8: Um, I'm calling in with a word that I was introduced to when I first started out working in EMS in New York City. And the term is "skell," spelled S-K-E-L-L, which when I first heard it, I assumed was a kind of shortening of skeleton, but after years of using it without really knowing the etymology, I decided to look it up and Mm -hmm. learned that it was actually from a 17th century English term that was more or less the same, but initially it meant kind of someone who would feign either being injured or crippled in some way to work better as a panhandler. So it was kind of more specifically a con artist and in law enforcement, the fire services, and EMS in New York City, the term skell, which is a contraction of the original word skelder, um, is used as a noun to describe someone who's kind of a little bit sketchy or potentially criminal. I, I just had no idea that it was it so directly linked back to the 17th century to a kind of similar term and that it survived all these centuries in this one kind of grouping of professions.
1: Yeah, that's that's kind of the problem with that etymological story is that it's a big gap between it being used in the 1600s and then popping up in Brooklyn in the late 1940s, which is where it first appears in the U.S. Like we're talking 300 and something years where it literally doesn't appear in print at all. And then suddenly, scale pops up in Brooklyn. I, I just have a hard time buying that etymology. I know that I, I agree that skelder was a word and agree it means uh, work as a beggar or to commit little scams and frauds to make a living. But that gap, just as a lexicographer just makes me pause and really question that as the origin but i love what you're saying about scale being this this term just like why is this term only in new york why is it only yeah. used by the ems and the police and the fire services scale is derogatory though right
8: yeah it's it's kind of the equivalent of calling someone like a lowlife life or a, yeah kind of-
1: there's a. Dude. There are a lot of related slang words like "skelgel," the term for hand sanitizer, and yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. have you used that one?
1: Yeah, the main
8: term we use for it. Oh, really? Uh, there's also, I think it's related, just because it's almost identical, but in South African slang, there's a term "skelm," s k e l m, that essentially means the same thing. A kind of low life, kind of sketchy dude.
1: Yeah, and they're related words in German and Dutch, but again, it's the same problem. It's existed in South Africa continuously, fortunately, um, since the 1800s, only in South Africa. Again, how does it get to South Africa, to New York in the 1940s? We just don't have it. I'll tell you one thing, though. When it first appears in the late 1940s in New York, it's in the Brooklyn Daily Eagle, always in the column, kind of this column by George Curry, and He talks about scales over and over again. He's bothered by them. And he doesn't describe them in the way that scale is used today. He talks about them as bums who panhandle for smoke, which is a kind of cooking sherry laced, as he calls it, with the cheapest and foulest whiskey to be had. And that they bother people for a buck for a cup of coffee. Um, and he says that the bums are mostly people from out of town, Boston most likely, always that New York-Boston (laughs) rivalry. That that sounds right.
0: You know, I'm betting that you have all kinds of great uh, slang that you could share with us uh, in a future call. I I really hope you'll call back and (laughs) and
8: bring us uh, us more. The amount of kind of jargon and kind of weirdly specific terms to go through, but I'll have to call back when I have another good one. Yeah, oh, yeah, Take notes do. and call
1: again. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing right. your, your background. Yeah. And it sounds like you're a good digger when it comes to word research, so keep at it.
8: Yeah, we will do. Thanks. All right. All right. Take right. care now. Thanks have for calling. Bye-bye. Sure thing. Bye.
0: Here's another entry that I really liked in the Bulwer Lytton contest. This one's from Father Jerry Kopasek in Elma, Iowa. He writes One time at the hoagie shop, the actress Ms. O'Hara asked what the tiny pimento stuffed thing in my cheddar bread sandwich was, and I had to respond We olive in a yellow sub, oh, terrible.
1: <laughs> I know. Terrible. <laughs> I'm sorry,
0: Grant. <laughs> Oh,
1: I'm mortally wounded.
0: (laughs) We all live in a yellow submarine.
1: Marine. uh, Marine O'Hara. I I get it.
0: (laughs) You get it. That's why you're groaning.
1: (laughs) Uh, Like I ate that yellow sub.
0: 877-929-9673.
5: Hello. You have a way with words. Hi, guys. This is Stacy from Denver, Colorado. Hey, Stacy. Hi, Stacy.
1: Welcome to the show. Hi.
5: I had a question for you guys about a phrase that I'm hoping you can help sort of settle for me. Um, the phrase is let alone, um, and the way I would use it is to compare two things. So for example, if you asked me to cook a Thanksgiving dinner and I'm a terrible cook, then I would say, oh, I can't even cook for myself, let alone cook Thanksgiving for 10 people. Mm-hmm. So I would compare like, what you're asking with something that's even less than that and say, I can't even do this, so forget about this other thing.
3: Mm-hmm. And I
5: would put the more extreme thing at the end.
9: Mm-hmm. Right.
5: So that's how I always heard it used, and that's what makes sense to me. But I feel like lately in the last probably two or three years, I've been hearing a lot of people using it the other way around, where they'll put the thing in question at the beginning, and then the lesser thing at the end. So they'll say like, oh, I can't cook Thanksgiving, let alone cook for myself. To me, this just sounds so wrong. This is like nails on a chalkboard <laughs> to me, like it just feels totally backwards. Yeah. I'm hoping that you can just settle this for me officially.
1: Yes, we can provide you some relief. Uh, Dr. Martha, we can help her, right?
0: Yes, and we have some great magazines while you're waiting. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Wonderful. Um, Yeah, I think you really nailed it exactly right. Uh, Traditionally, the harder things should come last. In your version, Mm -hmm. you, you said that I can't do... X, which is an easyish thing, and mm-hmm. let alone Y, which is a harder thing. And that's, that's pretty much how it, it has been and, and ought to be. And you're right. Mm-hmm. People do often put the difficult thing first. They say, I can't even Z, um, let alone X. But what they should be saying is not even X. So yeah. kind of what they're mixing here is these little idiomatic expressions, all which are used to provide this range of possibilities of what they are or are not capable of doing. And let alone, let's admit it, is kind of a weird expression, right? Let alone mm. is not, it's idiomatic. It's hard to break down. What does let alone mean? It's not really a a modern phrase at all, right? Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. kind of opaque when you hear it being used. It's pretty easy to misunderstand it.
0: Yeah. Right. True.
1: That's true.
0: But there are different phrases like that. that yeah. Uh, it's the same kind of construction to say nothing of, you know. Or, or never
1: mind, or much yeah, less, much or still less. less. Yeah. Yeah. And, and all of these can be used in the same way, or they can be misused in the same way. So it, it's kind of an understandable mistake particularly with let alone especially with let alone because let alone is just this odd little bird if you saw this and you had your photo your camera you would you'd take a picture of it because it'd be the strange <laughs> you know all the little brown birds and this brightly colored one you know
5: <laughs> look at this little let alone over here <laughs> yeah look
1: at this little let alone and you'd be showing That's to all so your funny. bird or friends so i think you, you really nailed it and i think it's a forgivable mistake but it is an error
0: you're not the only yeah. person who's noticed this. Linguists have been uh, researching complementary alternation
1: discourse constructions <laughs> That's and, as they're called. As they're well,
0: called. <laughs> <right>. <laughs> yeah.
1: And we'll link to some very highfalutin academic papers uh, when we post this to the website. They're, they're pretty heady stuff.
0: Yeah, but... when I said there were magazines in our waiting room.
1: <laughs> these are not those. These are
0: the ones. <laughs> no pictures.
1: <laughs> these, are the, these are the things we give you when you haven't been following the diet we give you or the, <laughs> taking the pills like we recommend.
5: <laughs> uh, I would expect no
1: less. <laughs> but the, we'll, we'll link to them anyway, because the, you might find some benefit. So just to be clear, since we said so much, let's make sure we talk about this one last time. It should be, I can't even toast bread, let alone cook Thanksgiving for 10 people. So it's the easy thing first mm-hmm. and the hard thing second. Yeah. Right. Okay, gotcha.
5: Perfect.
0: Well, Stacey, thank you so much for calling. I'm glad you feel better. Stacey. I do.
5: <laughs> thank you for the medicine. It's,
1: uh, it's definitely Anytime. cleared up right. my case. Come, come and see us in six weeks. We'll take the cast off.
5: <laughs> okay, perfect. So, right. Thank you. Happy holidays to you guys. You too. Stacey. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Stacy. Bye.
0: Well, if there's a word or phrase you're wondering about, give us a call, 877-929-9673, or send it to us in email. The address is words at waywardradio.org.
9: Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, Grant and Martha. This is Jonah calling from Baltimore, Maryland. Hi, Jonah. Hey, Jonah. I'm a private music teacher, and uh, as one of my 10-year-olds was packing up after our lesson, we somehow got to chatting about states we have visited. So I asked him if he knew his state capitals. And he's a real confident kid, so he emphatically said, of course I do. So... I said, okay, so do you know the capital of Maryland? And without missing a beat, he shouted, M.D., <laughs> <laughs> which I laughed. <laughs> I laughed and I said, no, I mean the capital city. And then he just looked at me confused and, and went, oh, no, I don't know those.
0: <laughs> That's so cute. So he used the initials, the and capital guess, letters. <laughs> he,
9: yeah, he used the capital letters. And, you know, I guess it's an honest, honest mistake. Sure. <laughs> um and when it comes to different uses of the capital, the word capital ending al, mm-hmm. I guess he was justified in answering the question that way. He just chose a different sense of the homonym. Um, <laughs> but then I got to wondering about the two different spellings of capital ending A-L and O-L, mm-hmm. which they're obviously two related words, but with divergent spellings. And yes. specifically, I was wondering, you know, if you could clarify how we ended up with those two words and why when we refer to capital city It's not spelled with an O, since that's where the Capitol building is situated.
0: Right, exactly. Yeah, you've zeroed in on the big difference that uh, confuses a lot of people, because, as you suggested, you only use the O for the Capitol building, whether it's the U.S. Capitol building, where Congress meets in Washington, or, in your case, the state house in Annapolis. That's the Capitol, C-A-P-I-T-O-L, where the legislators meet. but it's in the capital city, A-L. And a lot of people have trouble remembering which is which, but uh, the trick I use is either to picture the round dome of the Capitol, which sort of looks like an O, or you can think about the letter O standing for only one, that one instance of when you use the mm-hmm. OL in the case of the building. And all the other uses mm-hmm. of capital uh, are AL. And um, you're right that there may be a connection between the two. The the AL capital, um, which we use for a lot more uh, ideas, like the main thing or a capital letter, um, it goes back to the Latin caput, which means pertaining to the head and so you get all kinds of uh meanings coming out of that kind of capital like like great or um capital in money as a matter of fact like venture capital Mm. um that's originally from latin pars capitalis the first part of a loan that's not the interest and then the meaning expanded the OL version, capital, goes back to ancient Rome where uh, the great temple of Jupiter, which was this magnificent temple in Rome, was located on the Capitoline Hill. And um, mm-hmm. there's, there's a story in antiquity that is probably apocryphal about um, them starting to dig the foundation for this temple and they found a head <laughs> when they were digging and it was it was um belongings yeah <laughs> to somebody named Tullius oh. or something like that but that's probably just um an etymological myth but but basically they go back to the Capitoline Hill which was with an o okay. and then caput meaning head um for all those other terms okay So, Jonah, I'm going to repeat that story um, from your student. I think that's hilarious.
1: (laughs) That's a great one. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) MD. Thank you for the call. Good luck with the students.
9: Yeah, thanks for taking my call. All right. Take care. Thanks, Jonah. All right. Bye-bye.
0: 877-929-9673. Thanks to senior producer Stephanie Levine, editor Tim Felton, and production assistant Rachel Elizabeth Weisler.
1: You can send us messages, subscribe to the podcast and newsletter, and catch up on hundreds of past episodes at waywardradio.org.
0: Our toll-free line is always open in the U.S. and Canada. 877 929 9673 or email us words at waywardradio.org.
1: Away with Words is an independent production of Wayward Inc., a nonprofit supported by listeners and organizations who are changing the way the world talks about language.
0: Many thanks to Wayward board member and our friend Bruce Rogo for his help and expertise.
1: Thanks for listening. I'm Grant Barrett.
0: And I'm Martha Barnett. Until next time, goodbye. Bye bye.